Well, Luke 5, 17 through 26 uh, gives us another opportunity to see the authority and power of Jesus on display. We have seen already several uh, places in the last several sermons that I've preached to you here at the early chapters of Luke where Luke is showing us through different episodes in the life of Christ Jesus' particular authority and power over creation, uh, over illness and disease, uh, over, and today what we'll see is over sin, authority to teach, all kinds of authority and power that Jesus has. And Luke's making a point of demonstrating that for us today. And, and Luke 5, 17 through 26 is no exception to that. So let us pick up God's holy inspired word and read uh, what the Lord has to say to us today. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. And may God... Show us extraordinary things from his holy, inspired, and inerrant word this morning. Well, there's nothing more comforting than knowing that your sins are forgiven. You know, one of the neglected resources that we have easily at our disposal in our day is not only the Bible, which is uh, very neglected, but second to only the Bible in neglect are, are the historic Reformed creeds and confessions that we have. And I have been encouraged in, uh, in reading a number of those, Westminster Confession of Faith, the Larger and Shorter Catechism, of course, which is the, our confession for the Presbyterian Church in America, but as well uh, the, the other Reformed confessions like the Belgic Confession, the Confession, uh, the, the Canons of Dort, uh, which we are probably going to be studying here in another two weeks on Wednesday nights, and the Heidelberg Catechism. These are all great resources to help us to understand the faith. They're great summaries of the teachings of Scripture. They're secondary to the Bible, of course, but very helpful in helping us understand what the Scriptures are teaching. And, I, of course, I love, and I've, I've shared this with you in the past, and some of you are familiar with the Heidelberg Catechism, but those wonderful first two questions of the Heidelberg Catechism, which I've given you on your outline, uh, talk about this comfort that we find in the Lord Jesus Christ, and especially in the fact that he has, he has provided for us forgiveness of sins. Uh, the first question is this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? 
that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to Him. Christ, by His Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. What a comfort, right? What a joy it is to find what the author of the Heidelberg Catechism had found, that comfort in belonging to Jesus Christ, the one who saved us and forgave us of our sins. But we have to know some things in order to enjoy this comfort in the catechism. And his second question gives us that information. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. That seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? To be comforted by knowing how sinful you are. But it goes along with the second and third. Second, how I am set free from all my sin and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Well, the Heidelberg Catechism follows that outline. It talks about, first of all, our sin and misery and all the questions that follow. Then it talks about how we are set free from all our sin and misery. And then finally, how we can show God our gratitude for delivering us from our sin and misery. So a very logical layout, very pastoral catechism, and I commend it to you. Well, I want to explore these first two branches of knowledge today. First, how great our sin and misery are, and second, how we are set free from all our sin and misery, as the catechism puts it, because that is what our text today addresses. May the Lord grant all of us here the comfort and the knowledge that our sins are forgiven in Christ. Well, as we read today in today's passage, Jesus heals yet another person. This time, uh, a paralytic man. And, you know, just as an aside, Luke, as a physician, he uses a very technical term for paralysis. Matthew and Mark also record this account uh, almost exactly as Luke does, but they use a more general term, one that's not as technical. Uh, Luke showing off his, uh, his doctor side there in, uh, in his uh, record. Uh, so we have this healing of the paralytic man. However, this passage is not primarily about Jesus' authority over human sickness, disease, and disability, though that's true. Rather, this passage is about Jesus' authority and power to forgive sin. Jesus states the point that he is making plainly in verse 24. He, he is making the point and making it verbally before this large group of people. Verse 24, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's what this whole passage is about, showing that Jesus has that authority to forgive sins. And Jesus purposefully picks this moment to make this point about his ability to forgive sin. Why? Well, because of his audience. If you look at verse 17, it tells us there, on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and, 
and Judea and from Jerusalem. Now, he's, he's using a figure of speech there, hyperbole in verse 17. Uh, I doubt that it was Pharisees and teachers of the law from every village of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. Uh, but Luke is using a, a hyperbolic speech here. In other words, there was a lot, a lot of Pharisees and scribes who were there. Uh, they had all gathered. They had all heard about Jesus. Luke's already told us on a number of occasions how Jesus' fame had spread and he, and he wasn't able to go anywhere without great crowds seeking him out. He was all the talk around the countryside and of course this talk had come to the Pharisees. And so these Pharisees and other religious leaders came there to Capernaum, as, as Mark tells us where, where this is located. Uh, they come to this place, they come to this house where Jesus is staying in order to examine Jesus and to render judgment concerning him. Where did this poor, uneducated man get his authority to teach like he does and the power to heal and to work miracles like he does? See, they, they viewed themselves as the gatekeepers for all that was orthodox and right. But they were not right. They were self-righteous Hypocrites, as the New Testament makes clear, Jesus himself makes clear. Well, in the previous chapters that we have looked at, we have seen Jesus confront the devil, confront demons, confront sickness, confront disease. Now Jesus confronts religious leaders, particularly these self-righteous religious leaders who had an outward religiosity but no inward experience of grace and mercy and forgiveness. Now notice also at the end of verse 17, there's this interesting phrase there, this interesting sentence. It says, And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. I think that's a strange thing, that strange statement that Luke makes there. Because I, I, as I read it, I thought, well, isn't the power of the Lord always with Jesus? I mean, he is the Lord. Uh, the Holy Spirit filled him when he was baptized and, and uh, he's healing so many people it would seem like he's free to heal whenever and whomever he wants. But perhaps, and this is just a perhaps because I don't know for sure, but perhaps here there is an unspoken juxtaposition with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. The power of the Lord is with Jesus to heal, but what is unsaid is that the power of the devil is with these religious leaders to destroy. And whether that is the case or not, it's still true. It's the religious leaders who will ultimately put Jesus to death. This is just the first of many confrontations to come between Jesus and these religious leaders. Well, the other gospel writers tell us uh, that Jesus was in this house in Capernaum when some men brought this paralytic to the house to be healed by Jesus. The crowd is so great because of the numerous Pharisees and, of course, his fame that had spread throughout the countryside. And so these men and their friend who's on the pallet or on the bed, they cannot get even close to the door of the house. So as there were always stairs, outside stairs to these houses with access to the roof, they took the stretcher 
and the paralytic man up to the roof. They removed some of the, the tiles that were there on the roof and they lowered the man down into the room so that Jesus can heal him. This paralytic and his friends know that Jesus is the only hope that this man has to be healed. He's the only hope. That's why they're so determined to get him in there. They must get him to Jesus. They believe in Jesus. They have faith in Jesus. And here is where the confrontation originates. Verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. If facial expressions were uh, audible, I mean, there would be an audible eyebrow raise by a bunch of Pharisees and scribes at this point. What did he just say? That got their attention. Verse 21, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, the Pharisees are correct. They're half correct. Only God can forgive sins. That's right. But there's wrong in saying that Jesus is blaspheming because Jesus is God. Jesus is divine. Therefore, he has the authority, the right, and the power to forgive sins. And he proves it. Verse 22. When Jesus perceived their thoughts, so I don't even think what they were what they were, uh, what is recorded here as they're thinking, this man blaspheming, who can, who can forgive sins but God? I don't think that was audible. Jesus perceives their thought, which we'll see in a moment, that might be an indicator of his divinity as well, that he knows what people are thinking. And there are other examples of that in the Gospels. He answers them, why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise up, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he did so, glorifying God. Well, Jesus makes that interesting statement there in verse 23, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk. Oh, it's, it's a bit cryptic, isn't it? What does that mean? Well, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven you, right? I mean, I could say that to anybody, but I can't prove it. So it's easy to say something that you can't really prove. Um, but it's harder to say, it's much harder to say, rise and walk. Because if you're going to say, rise and walk, that person better rise and walk, or your word is meaningless. So Jesus is saying, both things, actually. But there's a risk to saying, rise and walk. There's not really a risk to saying, your sins are forgiven, because it can't be proven one way or the other. But Jesus is going to prove it. What does Jesus do? He says both, beginning with, your sins are forgiven you. He says both to show that both are true. And verse 24 is where Jesus makes that point. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, that what I said before about the sins being forgiven is just as true, I'm going to say rise up and walk as well. And of course he says that. And the man rises up and walks and goes home. 
Well, everyone there is blown away. Everyone gets it except the Pharisees and the scribes. Verse 25, immediately he rose up, picked up his, what he'd been lying on and went home, glorifying God. He glorifies God. He gives God the credit for this healing. Nobody else. God. But who did it? Jesus. Who is God? Verse 26, an amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. They all glorified God except the Pharisees and the other religious leaders who were there. Time and time again, they are confronted with Jesus' power and authority, his wonderful teaching, the miracles that he, that he performed, and you see it over and over and over again that they respond to Jesus with grumbling, with fury, anger, jealousy, to the point that they begin to plot to destroy Jesus. They don't get it. And they don't want to get it because they don't want to believe in Jesus. But Jesus makes his point, but unbelief refuses to accept it. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So the question for us today is, do we believe this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus is the only one who can forgive your sins? See, those men who brought their friend and the friend on the pallet, he was helpless to do anything for himself. He believed too. It wasn't just the men who were carrying, carrying him there. They are all eager to go to Jesus so this man could be healed, not just outwardly, but inwardly as well. That's what he got. But what about us? The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I want to explore that statement, especially two phrases in there. First, the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. To really understand the nature, to, to what Jesus is saying here, we need to understand the nature of sin. What is sin? Our catechism, again turning to the to the wonderful resources we have in our catechism, the, the Westminster Catechism, Shorter Catechism says, sin is any lack or want or lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Sin is any lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. It, it's not doing what God has commanded or it, or it is doing what God has forbidden. Both. Sins of omission and sins of commission. You can commit a sin or you can fail to do the right thing and that's sin as well. Well, sin entered the world when Adam ate the forbidden fruit. The Bible makes that clear. When, when Adam ate that fruit, he rebelled against God and the relationship between him and God was broken. Adam lost his righteousness, his original righteousness with which he was created and, and his whole nature was corrupted. And he was disposed to evil at that point. And everyone who proceeds from him by ordinary generation, who, who, who are Adam's descendants, have also that inborn disposition towards sin. It's called original sin. And all of our actual transgressions proceed from it. It's like I said last week about that fountain out here, 
you know, the basin has water in it and it sprays forth, you know, water out of the basin. Same is true of our hearts. There is a sin nature there and all the actual transgressions flow from our hearts. We are guilty. We are born guilty. Babies aren't born innocent. Sin is more than just imitation of bad examples in life. We are born with a nature that is bent towards sin. Have you ever driven a car that pulls to one side or the other? You know, it just always wants to go left and, uh, you know, you feel like you're constantly fighting it. That is humanity's bent towards sinning. We, we have a bent towards sinning, a disposition towards it. And it's born in us. And then from that flow all the sins that we commit. And from that is all the brokenness and misery of our lives. Sin is our problem. At the root, brokenness comes as a result of sin. The catechisms use a, a kind of a word, an older word, misery. All the miseries of life flow from sin, that original sin that's in all of our hearts. Yes, we sin against one another, and, and the sins maybe that someone has committed against you has led to brokenness in your life. Maybe you have caused brokenness in someone else's life through your sin. There's brokenness that comes with, 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 with being human and having a sin nature and living in a world that is under a curse from God. When, when Adam ate the forbidden fruit, God pronounced a curse not only on mankind that, that he would be subject to death, but on all of earth. Nothing works like it should. Everything is broken. And, and that uh, brokenness is the result of sin. Brokenness equals all the misery of life. Because you have listened, this is God's word to Adam after he had sinned, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So not only do we have the curse that's placed on all of creation, sin nature, but death has entered in as well. Death and sickness is a result of sin. Now, I'm not saying that if you're sick or injured that you've necessarily done something wrong to merit that, that you've gotten sick because you were a bad person. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm say, what I'm saying is this, that if we did not have a sin nature, if Adam had never fallen into sin, then we would never die. We would never be sick. And when Jesus returns and lifts the curse off of creation and, 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 and frees his children from the from the very presence of sin, there will no longer be any sickness or death. That's what he's come to do, to reverse the curse, if you will. So yes, this man who was paralyzed, well, possibly he had done something in his life to get this judgment of sin, uh, of paralysis upon him. Perhaps he had not done anything to merit that. We don't know. But sin has, has caused this brokenness in his life. It may not be his own sin. It may just be general sin of, of mankind. Job got very sick because he was a righteous man. 
not because he was a wicked man. Paul had a thorn in the flesh uh, just so that he would depend more on the Lord. God has many purposes for these things, but it is sin that causes this brokenness in the world, and it causes all the misery in our lives. And it's only through Jesus that we will ever be freed from sin. The original sin that we bear, that sinful disposition that we have, or, or free from the guilt of all the actual transgressions that we've ever committed. So if we want to be forgiven and cleansed and know that comfort, we must go to Jesus. He is uniquely qualified. The Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And I briefly uh, will say three things. First of all, he calls himself the Son of Man. And he is talking about that passage that we read from Daniel chapter 7. The Son of Man who comes before the Ancient of Days, who has all power and dominion, and his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. When Jesus uses that term, he's, he's saying that about himself. He is the Son of God. He is uniquely qualified to forgive sins as the Son of God because He is divine. He perceives their thoughts, something that only God can do. And finally, they all glorify God as a result. They glorify God. They're glorifying Jesus because He is God. So if you want your sins forgiven, Jesus as the Son of Man, Jesus is the one who knows you inside and out. He knows everything about you. Nothing is hidden from his sight. He knows. He perceives, just like he perceived in those days, the thoughts of these Pharisees. He knows, and he came to earth for that very purpose, to free us from sin, to lay down his life and die so that we could be cleansed from sin. That could be yours and the future to look forward to because he's going to return, not only going to free us from uh, the, 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 the guilt of sin, but the power of sin and the, even the presence of sin and reverse the curse, bring in the new heavens and new earth. Oh, something to look forward, something to be comforted by. I pray that every one of us would know our own misery, yes. We're sinners. Jesus knows it. He knows you're a sinner. Reach out to him like these men do, did. Don't take no for an answer. Uh, we, we talked in Sunday school about Jacob wrestling the angel. Jacob wouldn't let God go until he blessed him. And I would say, let's do the same. Let us seek out this wonderful forgiveness that Jesus has paid the ultimate price to attain for us. He didn't do all that work and go to all that trouble to be stingy with his forgiveness and his mercy and grace. It's for you. Reach out to him. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, we, we thank you for all that you've done for us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to, to come to you in faith and trust. And, and, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for our many sins. Cleanse us. Free us from the guilt that we bear, that burden that we tote around. Lord, may we know the freedom and comfort of what it means to belong to you. And may the gratitude so fill our hearts that we live our lives to serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.